HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm joined by Angela Vranich, co-founder and chief product officer of Little Spoon, the baby-to-big-kid food subscription company making healthy, nutritionally optimized food for every eating stage. Little Spoon was named one of Inc.'s best places to work in 2022 and is number nine on their fastest-growing food companies. Speaking of Inc., Angela was named on their Female Founders 200 list. And as the driver of product innovation, she oversees the pipeline strategy, consumer insights, product development, research, and every physical consumer-facing touchpoint. Ha! Welcome, Angela. (laughs) Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. There's so many things that you oversee that I ran out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, lots and lots of things. Lots of things that I oversee Little Spoon. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, this was a fun one for me to do my research into, um, especially because I've been thinking a lot about innovation lately. I think a lot of CPG companies are thinking about innovation lately. Um, and I just don't know that I've had someone as sort of deep into innovation as you. Um, and you've made some interesting choices for Little Spoon, which I'm excited to hear more about. So I'm thrilled you're here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, yeah. And, and so I guess maybe just let's start off with a little bit of the story. You guys were definitely early on the, is it 3.0 or 4.0 baby food, you know, better for you, subscription, you know, all of it. Um, so maybe just tell me a little bit of the background and then we'll, we'll start getting into the nitty gritty. Yeah, for sure. Um, So Little Spoon, uh, we launched back in 2017 officially as a direct-to-consumer company, although I had been working on it um, far before that, uh, really started around 2013. Um, Mm -hmm. I was always interested in the natural organic food space. I had a marketing company in college for natural and organic food and beverage brands. My boyfriend at the time, now husband, who's also my co-founder and CEO in Little Spoon, mm-hmm. around that time had a distribution company for kind of like fresh, new, innovative food and beverage brands that they were distributing across the country into small stores and, and Whole Foods. And so I was just kind of like in and around the space, um, going to all the various food trade shows, trend spotting. I had you know several friends that were starting brands around that time. So really just like helping them start their businesses. Um, and, you know, going to these shows around that time, it was always so interesting 
for me to see year after year, these kind of new fresh brands popping up. Mm -hmm. So this was like 10 to 12 years ago when HPP or high pressure processing was just really gaining traction as this like commercialized process for, for different types of food products. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd go to these trade shows and you'd see like, it was when blueprint juice was coming on the scene. I don't know if you remember, but you know, they were selling literally, yeah, yeah $10 bottles of green juice, which was just blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. And so every show you'd go to, there'd be another juice brand or just this whole shift toward fresh, more juice brands. There was fresh pet food. There was, you know, all these dips, dressings, um, like anything you can imagine was kind of be- being reinvented into this natural and organic space and with this kind of eye toward fresh. And, um, you know, I really was just like, what is, what is a category that this has not yet been applied to? And baby food was really just this glaring example of a, of a category that had not yet been disrupted. It was really the same stuff on the shelf that, you know, my parents had fed me. And, um, that was kind of the light bulb moment where it was like, all right, um, I think there might be a, a good idea for a business here. So let me, let me kind of give this a go and, and see if I can get this project off the ground. And it, it kind of started off as this like fun side project for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I was thinking, well, maybe I can, you know, start this company and, and Ben's distribution company could distribute it into retail. They could help us get, get into retail. Right. And so kind of started working on it part-time. Um, and, you know, it really proved to be tr- quite the challenging project because no one was doing fresh baby food at the time. There was not a yep. soul. So um, really just had a lot of doors shut in my face, just trying to find a contract manufacturer because it was obviously, you know, you're feeding a sensitive population. Yep. Very few people were interested in speaking with me about even making the product. Yeah. Um, finally found um, a small co-packer in Los Angeles who really was just like, all right, I mean, I'll make it with you if you can, um, you know, help me with the process. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so really like he kind of just gave us this space within a space that we outfit with our own equipment. Um, It was all totally bootstrapped, self-funded in the beginning. Um, You know, we hired a a, a quality and food safety consultant who came in and helped us define the whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we developed all of this custom packaging with some some small domestic suppliers and uh, launched with our initial first it was a line of 10 baby food skews. Wow. Um, yeah. And so we actually, we, we had the product ready. We exhibited at Expo West in 2015 mm-hmm. and, um, it was a great show, but you know, buyers and retailers were just very cautiously optimistic, of course, because it's fresh baby food. No one, no one was doing it. And, yeah. um, you know, at the same time there was, you know, their other concerns were that there was nowhere to merchandise it. There was no, no destination for fresh baby food. Yeah. I know all about that problem, Angela. Yeah. Right. Once upon a farm has now kind of tackled with all of their cooler space, but at the time, you know, you get stuck in the produce section, you get stuck in the yogurt section. Like it was wherever they could maybe find a space for you. Right. And so, you know, the more we thought about going into retail, it was like the less and less appealing it became to launch there. Mm -hmm. Um, for us. So, you know, these stores obviously had specific marketing spend and demo programs they want you to commit to. And so it's like when you think about doing a four hour demo for baby food, yes. you could be standing there and in, in the four hour window that you're standing there, how many people walking through the store are, are realistically going to have a child in this very narrow time frame, six to 12 months. That they're willing to take a risk of giving the baby the food from the demo in the I mean, that makes so much totally, sense. totally. It's like they're realistically like they're not going to try this new baby food on the spot and say, sure, I'll just try this random new food instead of the one that I was going to buy. Yep. Um, it didn't it didn't make a ton of sense because baby food was this highly considered premeditated purchase. Parents were really educating themselves outside of the stores online. And so for us, it was like if parents are doing all of this research online, we want to be the first brand that comes up when they search and we want them to be able to immediately buy our product. Yeah. This is so much fun. I'm love. I'm, I feel like I'm watching a movie <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I think, you know, we, we are 
HPP'd and we're sort of, I mean, Le Grand is a Canadian sauce that, um, a pesto and a tzatziki that, that HPPs, but we're sort of in a nether world ourselves. And it's been, I mean, anyone who's been listening to me for the last, I guess it's now five years on this podcast knows that you don't just get to go where you think it should go. And even if you do get to go where you think it should go, the consumer isn't used to finding you there. And it depends on the store you're in or even, you know, which planogram within each store that you're in. So mm-hmm. the whole creating a new category thing kind of needs to be reserved. I mean, I hate to say it for either a once upon a farm type of thing where there's just like significant capital behind it and, you know, all of the bells and whistles of experts from General Mills. Or it just happens over 20 years or, you know, 15 years a la, you know, GT and health aid and perfect. And, and, you know, it's still evolving. Um, so, I mean, it seems like a brilliant decision on your part to ride the D to C wave and, and sort of eschew retail that early on, I guess my question is, I'm trying to think of 2016, 2017, was it still sort of like Warby and, you know, away era or was it starting to get more into like the D to C kind of as we know it era? It definitely was not as we know it. It was, it was very, like a, it was, it was very novel then still, you know, it was kind of in like blue apron was, was on the upswing. People were just getting comfortable with like getting groceries online, but it definitely was not a learned customer behavior yet. Right. Um, I would say COVID really accelerated that behavior for us, but you know, back then it was, it was definitely just like a little more like the wild west. You know, we, we, um, by the time we launched the direct to consumer, uh, business in 2017, we had had you know a couple angel investors. We had raised a small seed round, and when when they had when they had put their money in, the idea was that we were going to go into retail. Right. And so whenever we went back to them, we were like, actually, we're not going to go into retail. We're gonna we're gonna sell online. They were definitely very very skeptical. Yeah. Um, but it truly turned out to be the absolute best decision that we ever made. Yeah. I mean, and I'm thinking even just, it's so hard to go back to that time, but I mean, I do remember trying to find a co-packer for our sauces in 2017 and I ended up not being able to find one. So I ended up, you know, collaborating with someone who had HPP and building a a pouch line there. Um, But, you know, it wasn't, it still isn't, by the way, you know, there's still very few people doing HPP. And I think it it is such an amazing technology, especially for baby food. It makes so much sense. Um, I guess at that time, you know, did you think, okay, it's going to keep, at some point, two things were going to happen. One is that food was going to sort of ride that adoption curve that other goods did on direct-to-consumer Because it was, you're right, it was definitely like the last one to sort of adopt. And it happened, I think that real acceleration totally happened during COVID. Um, But did you, in that time, were you like, all right, we're just going to do this a little more and then then the retail environment's going (laughs) to shift for us? Like, did you just keep putting it off or were you just like, actually, no, this is a subscription. This is how parents buy it. We're going to lean really hard into this and take retail off the table until we're really good and ready. Yeah. I mean, at that time it was just, it was retail was just so difficult. So, you know, we really were committed to leaning into the direct consumer space. It it made a ton of sense. You think about a baby, baby food subscription, you know, parents need to feed a certain amount of food at a certain time. You know, there were around that time there was, it was, it seemed like everything was a subscription. You could get subscription socks and subscription underwear and subscription this and subscription. Baby food was one that like actually made sense. And so 
you know, we, we really decided to lean hard into the DTC, put retail, you know, on the back burner and kind of in, in the direct to consumer, when, when we launched in our first year, we sold over a million meals. So for us, it was like, okay, we really have something here and this business model is, is working hard for us. And we knew that that was what we wanted to lean into. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm so glad you're the innovation person because I was having this discussion. I mean, I've, been talking a lot with people about a few things that are kind of like all coming to you right now. One is sort of that innovation discussion, which we'll talk about, you know, in terms of if everyone's trying to sort of conserve cash and if everyone's trying to sort of get profitable as fast as possible, innovation can be really expensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll, but we'll talk about that. But the other is like what the role of direct to consumer plays for your business. And I think we're coming out of this sort of like go-go years type of thing, (laughs) you know, where, like you said, I mean, I don't know why you would want a subscription to chimichurri, honestly, like, (laughs) no people love it, but like, but baby food really does make sense. So what were some of the early learnings, I guess, that you were getting on your website from your customers that opened up some sort of channels in your brain about what you were making and what you were doing. Yeah. So one of the great things about our business model is that we have this one-to-one connection with each of our customers. And, you know, our customers are mainly females. It's, It's mostly moms. I think it's like 98%. So highly engaged, super passionate customer base. A lot of them are first time parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're very vocal, which is, is wonderful. So it Uh really makes my job so much easier because we have this huge swath of customers who's coming to us and telling us what they like, what they don't like. Um, And, and our business model, you know, we're able to be quite nimble in the way that we develop new products and develop line extensions um, and that, you know, we can get them into the hands of people much faster than um, we would be able to otherwise if we were if we were selling into retail. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's great. Um, and so what were some of the early insights that you got that surprised you about what people either liked or didn't like? Well, I'd say one one of the early insights was we needed more SKUs. So we launched initially with 10 SKUs um, Mm -hmm. on our baby food line, our baby blends line. And that's growing. And and, and in addition to that, that parents were really looking for guidance and into what what to feed their children. So they weren't just coming to us to buy baby food, but they wanted to be told what to feed their children and when. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we really took that to heart and um, we kind of buffed out that 10 SKUs. I mean, today the line has grown to roughly 50 SKUs that range into complex- in complexity and texture from single ingredient purees to very textured blends with multiple ingredients. So um, we have a much more robust offering. But in addition to that, we also uh, there's a whole educational component to to our, our food and, and the way that we educate customers on how they can move through our product line and feed their kids. Um, and they, you know, they come to us with our, their questions all the time. Our customer care team is made up of um, a bunch of moms, most of them who were former customers or our current customers. And so we really have this special one-to-one connection uh, with, you know, our customer care team has with, with our customers. It's really awesome. And so I, you know, one of the things I noticed, you know, again, knowing that I was speaking to someone who was like in the innovation process is, you know, you, you have, you know, you've gone sort of like from early baby to big kid Mm -hmm. and snacks and that's, and you did that, I think really quickly. Um, If you just think about, you know, five years is, is really early to have that many more SKUs and also just sort of product lines. I'm, and I, I think what you're saying is it's easier to do that when you're getting really fast feedback um, rather than waiting the 12 months to get into the review, to then get it on the shelf, to then see the velocity, to then make a decision. Exactly. Yeah. And were there things that you 
that you just, you knew right away just weren't going to work and people gave you the feedback and, and you just said goodbye? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, all the time, you know, we'll, we'll launch something. I mean, more often than not, we are tweaking something, um, that we put out into the market. I think, um, you know, perfect, a perfect example of that, of, of our whole innovation process at work is our line of plates. So after we launched the baby food in 2017, um, you know, we, we, we took a couple years to really, really strengthen our supply chain and, and come up with more offerings on the baby food side for people. But our customers were coming to us, you know, saying they wanted more foods, different types of foods for their kids that were aging out of the baby food. Right. So, um, we started developing our line of plates back in 2019 and this is a line of ready-to-eat kid and toddler meals. They're vacuum skin-packed. They're designed to be ready in under two minutes in the microwave. And the whole product philosophy with that line is like better for you kids classics. So think hidden carrots and butternut squash and macaroni and cheese and hidden veggie chicken nuggets and and all of that. All of that. So um, we, we had this line nearly ready to go, not quite ready to launch, but then COVID happened. And in 2020, our customers were reaching out to us like, can you please come out with additional products? I'm at home with my kids. I need, I, I need more food, different types of food to feed them. So we launched the line a little earlier than we had anticipated. Um, I actually wasn't even able to, no one was able to attend the first production run because everyone was on lockdown. So I spent, you know, 12, 12 hour days FaceTiming with our contract yeah. manufacturer while they were doing this first production run of this product. Um, and that was a perfect example of something that like wasn't quite ready, but we put it onto the market. We quickly were gathered insights and feedback and we, you know, iterated on it, tweaked, tweaked everything as fast as we could and really got into a place where we felt great about it. But, um, that was a moment where, you know, we put something out before, before we were quite ready, but because we had that robust, customer feedback back yeah. loop and we were able to kind of nimbly act on on the insights that we were getting uh, we were able to get it into a place very quickly that we felt great about I'm just picturing like a three-year-old being like I'd like it to be like a little crunchier and <laughs> maybe a little you know a little more breaded uh, I mean what just I mean anecdotally like parents were like the peas are Mushy, like what? I mean, I, I I know it's a ridiculous question because obviously you're going to get feedback, but I mean, was it mostly around texture, around taste? Like how? I mean, how, how did? That's hard with little kids. Oh you know? yeah, it's very hard because kids are so picky, and at oh, that yeah. age, you know, they're changing their minds all the time. It's like one day they like they love it, and then right. the next day they don't want anything to do with it. I guess you get enough information, and you can take out the outliers, and if there's a a bit of a chorus around one thing. Is that right? Nice? Yeah. So we'll, we'll tweak recipes. Um, we'll, you know, work on texture of certain items. One thing that we, we did with this line in particular is when we did consumer insights, we sent test product out to a bunch of families. We had them take a photo of the plate before and after to see what their child was eating, wow. and what they weren't eating yep. at the end of mealtime. And so, you know, based on that, we would go back and be like, okay, well, it seems like no one really liked this side dish. So why don't we swap it out for something else? That's so interesting. Cause when I worked in public health, we did plate waste studies and that's exactly what you're saying. I totally forgot about that. Like instead of going with sort of like verbal feedback or even surveys from kids in school lunches, you just basically analyzed what they were throwing out at the end of the meal and what they didn't eat. And it's a, it's brilliant. Such a, so cool. What a, how, are there any other things like that that you use to get feedback other than just kids saying, I don't like this or I like this? Yeah. I mean, we have a variety of avenues for really gathering consumer insights and feedback. I mean, obviously many, many people on our team have children, so we'll send out test product to our whole team and have them give feedback. Um, we have a private Facebook group of super users uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, we give kind of early glimmers of products to. We'll send R&D samples to to gather feedback. And the, these are just like a very 
hyper highly engaged group of our customers who are just like fanatical about our products and love to try all the things and give us the feedback. And um, we'll do in-person focus groups too. So with kids, um, with kids, yeah. Fun. Yeah, it's really fun. We One of the food scientists on my team, her mom is a kindergarten teacher in LA. So she's so graciously let us use her students as our taste testers many, many times. Um, yeah, and it's always fun to see. So we'll like go and do a few few different classrooms. We'll do like a kindergarten, a first grade, and a second grade. And, and even though, you know, they're only a year or two apart, it's so interesting to see how they give feedback and, re- and react to certain things. So yeah, we, we, uh, we, we gather some pretty robust customer insights. Awesome. This is fun. Um, okay. We're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about all sorts of things like regulation and the FDA. Woo. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Angela Vranich from Little Spoon. Um, Okay, so before the break, we were talking about how you gather insights from little people. Um, which I just, I'm just having such a fun time. You know, I often talk about how much my life feels like that. Um, what's it called? Baby on board. It's with, um, you know, Diane Keaton and she moves to Vermont and she makes the baby food. I'm sure people have told you that your life is like that. Oh yeah. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. Many, many times. And that's a great movie too, by the way. Yes. So I mean, it's funny because I think my life is a lot like that with like the pouches and the machines and the testing and the thing. Um, But your life is actually significantly like that. And you have (laughs) babies tasting things and like smiling or like grimacing or whatever. I'm enjoying myself. Um, Okay. So obviously, you know, I'm, I've, in my brain, the picture of the innovation machine looks like um, a big machine and then there's like shoots going into it. You know, what makes sense from a margin perspective? What makes sense from the insights that we've gathered? What makes sense in terms of our, you know, core capabilities? What makes sense for the brand? And and then you have, a, I mean, we have, you know, obviously all the rules and regulations around pH and water activity and yada, yada, HPP validation studies. But you have a lot more, I would imagine, if you're making baby food. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what, what that sort of, how that impacts your pipeline. You know, what, what do you have to do sort of differently from, you know, people just making salty snacks for everyone else. Like I would imagine there's another layer of, um, of, you know, QA and QC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we take quality and food safety very seriously as we should, because we're feeding a very sensitive population. Um, you know, we're, we're very thoughtful about where we source all of our ingredients and our, the farms that we partner with. So, our entire baby food line is USDA certified organic, um, you know, and a lot of people don't realize all the things that go into organic farming practices and the difference it can really make in produce. Um, but really, it's you know, 
all of the better farming really makes better produce. And mm. so very, very meticulous about all of our sources. Um, and then, you know, on the baby food side, and, and we also have a line of smoothies, we voluntarily partnered with the Clean Label Project. So the Clean Label Project is a third-party nonprofit verifying body that tests our finished pureed baby food and smoothies for over 400 contaminants, including things like heavy metals, which is a really popular topic that bubbles up in the news from time to time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they test all of our, our products. Uh, they test them initially in order to get the award. And then, uh, they do blind testing throughout the year to make sure that we can maintain the award. And that's an organization that's been wonderful to partner with and has really educated us so much on the importance of, of produce and sustainable and organic farming practices. Yeah. And then what about the FDA and their sort of regulations for the category? Is there, you know, I mean, HPP is a funny one. You know, I, again, heard a few years ago that, you know, we have a little snowflake on our pouch that turns a different color once it's been through the HPP machine. It goes from like a clear to like a blue, just so that everyone knows that it's been, you know, it's gone through the, you know, pasteurization process. And we were told that that was going to be sort of, you know, mandatory on anything that's HPP. Um, you know, we do a validation study on everything, which takes us double the amount of time of the shelf life that we want. So I don't know if you deal with that too, but if we want a six month shelf life, we need to be in validation study for 12 to 14 months, mm-hmm. which makes our pipeline a little stymied. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why is because we're making, you know, you're making a puree of different vegetables. We're making these really sort of mixes of ingredients that are not at all like each other. Um, but I'm just wondering, has there been what's been frustrating, what's been helpful, you know, where does, where does the FDA kind of come in just in general to to the process? Yeah. I mean, the FDA really, um, you know, a a hot topic for baby food, as I said earlier, is heavy metals. So today, formal guidance for heavy metals in pureed baby food in the United States does not exist. So, they did issue a draft guidance earlier this year for lead, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's not yet legally enforceable. Um, right. I think there's going to be some back and forth on that. They, you know, really haven't issued any any type of official guidance yet. So we are, you know, we'd welcome them to set a single standard for manufacturers yeah. to adhere to. Um, because, you know, we, we take it very seriously. We have very rigorous quality and food safety standards. And I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see because it is a topic that has, has been really hot in the past couple of years. And I do think that consumers are really uh, hungering for them to, to set, set a clear standard. Yeah, it feels I was reading. Oh, I guess I was reading uh, about the daily harvest stuff. And mm-hmm. Geez, um, you know, just like how far behind the FDA is on all of these new ingredients that all of these like innovative new companies that are trying, you know, I mean, they're trying to find alternative protein sources and fiber sources and probiotic sources and things like that. You know, I, I mean... <laughs> that was, I, I sent my whole team that article and I'm like, everyone, you know, just this would, this would not be fun. Like the, this would not be fun. Um, but I guess part of the problem is, is that they're so behind on, you know, everything is kind of an aftermath, right? Like there's that we have this, like, you know, generally regarded as safe, companies are able to sort of put stuff out. And then only if there's a problem, it seems like, is there a response? And, and I don't know that that's going away anytime soon. I would imagine you guys are not 
playing around with any innovative um, ingredients. No, I mean, you know, we, everything we use is generally recognized as safe grass, but yeah, we're not, we're not putting any wild and crazy things into our baby food or smoothie. They would pass the kindergarten test anyway. They'd yeah, exactly. Please, can I just have apples? Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to switch back over to sort of the, the innovation discussion a little bit. I mean, one of the things that was fun researching with you is that you are, you know, baby food, like you said, has a population of consumers that ages out. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're continuing to keep them in um, by, you know, making the smoothies and by making the plates and things like that. Do you have sort of a plan for, you know, you're going to keep innovating on the blends. You're going to keep probably coming out with new different flavors of everything that you already have. But do you have other categories that you sort of have on your roadmap that you're, that you're mapping out as we speak? Yeah, um, absolutely. We have some really fun and exciting product launches coming in the next couple of months. Um, but you know, really our whole, our whole philosophy now is is creating this one-stop shop for parents to find food solutions for children of all ages and really growing with our customer. Yeah. Um, we are, you know, by by launching new products and expanding our product lines, it really serves two purposes for us. So we're able to get more out of our customers because we're mm-hmm. serving more needs and more eating occasions. And then we're aging up with them. So we're able to serve them from first bites into grade school years. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen our average order value in the last year increase by 40% because we're just getting more ingrained in customers' lives. So Little Spoon, not only are our customers ordering more products from us, but they're ordering more frequently mm-hmm. because we're catering, you know, we're, we're, or at least we're trying to cater to, you know, different eating occasions. Yeah. And so that's really the crux of, you know, what our product expansion strategy and what we're, what we're going to be going for uh, later this year and into 2024. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds amazing. I have to say, like, I'm just a huge fan after everything that I've read and speaking to you today. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, is this normal community Mm -hmm. platform? Because, you know, I'm just going to like talk for a second. And (laughs) like, I, everyone who listens regularly knows I got this like um, a rating on Apple that said that I talk too much and interrupt people. So it's like, now I'm like very hyper aware, but so I'm like focusing this with like, I'm going to like riff for a minute and people are going to be like, no, don't, you don't have to apologize. Blah, blah, blah. But like, I just need to, I'll get over it in a couple episodes, but basically <laughs> it seems like D to C, you know, there's all of this nonsense on LinkedIn. Everything's dead or it's not, and it's not dead. You know, email's dead. D to C's dead. This is dead. Everything, you know, D to C can be an amazing, amazing channel for a few things. One is when you have a subscription business, right? Two is when you can really leverage it to build a loyal and committed community And that's exactly what you've done. And so leaning into that community seems like such a huge part of your business, A, because it will give you insights and give you, you know, innovation, but B, because it will just like really keep these people completely ingrained and and just, I would imagine, is a huge retention tool. And on top of it, it seems like you're also really, you know, we always talk about ourselves as like, our content is part of our product. Like we're not just making condiments for people. We're helping them think about what to cook and making my shopping list and, you know, how to not kill people with raw chicken and all of that. And that seems like an even bigger demand from first time parents and people who are wondering if it's normal that the kids gas is, you know, whatever, however, many hours a day. So 
I'm sure that in retrospect, it was always part of things, but what happened internally that made you guys decide to really, really lean into it? What were you getting out of it? And what did you feel like you were giving that made you identify the, the content, like the community platform as something so integral to the business? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm glad that you brought it up because it is such a powerful tool for us and it, it really differentiates us from different mm-hmm. brands out there. Yep. Um, and as I talked about earlier with um, the one-to-one connection with our customers and them reaching out to our customer care team, you know, we had these customers, we noticed that we're, we're reaching out to our customer care team and not just asking questions about food, but asking questions about all types of things related mm-hmm. to parenting and, and you know, being a first-time parent and my kid did this today. Is that weird? And mm-hmm. our, our, our customer care team really develops this special connection with a lot of our customers to where they felt comfortable coming to them asking these questions yeah. after like a conversation about their food. And so um, it has really served as, is this normal is really, you know, it's been a nice retention tool for us, but it's also served as a really great acquisition tool. So um, we have a biweekly is this normal newsletter that reaches over 1 million email subscribers with a leading industry open rate. Um, We also have a corresponding is this normal Facebook group with over eight and a half thousand members that acts as a forum for people to connect about all of their parenting questions. And in that Facebook group, we host biweekly expert AMA series, um, you know, where we'll bring in experts and, and they'll you know, talk to people about a, a top, a specific topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we reach over 500,000 people weekly through our, as this normal Instagram, and we have thousands of organic site visits each week. Um, so we're, we're, you know, driving traffic to that website. I do want to ask with the, I mean, so with those different places, people live in Facebook, they live in Instagram is the goal to bring them back to the website. Like, is that you're kind of reaching them and talking to them on those different social channels, and then you sort of guide them back to the home base not always. I mean, it really, it's, it's served as kind of like an acquisition tool for us, really just like an educational hub for our existing customers as well. Right. And kind of just as a, a nice brand branded, um, resource out there for, for people that are customers and non-customers. Got it. Okay. Um, so yes. So you were saying it's good for retention, but it also really works for acquisition because you're reaching new parents and, and they might not even know necessarily that you have food, but they see you as a resource and then they might end up buying. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it really started because a lot of parenting advice out there is riddled with, you know, outdated information, sugar-coated information. There's all these like legacy forums and blog sites. And so we, you know, really launched as a normal as a way for parents to even get, you know, their taboo questions answered. So, Um, topics like smoking weed postpartum and top tips to get into a daycare. These are all articles that are are written by experts and posted on the, is this normal on a weekly basis? And, um, you know, we've partnered with experts like one medical parsley health, Ariana Huffington, um, you know, alongside advice delivered by celebrities and influencers, um, and really just kind of have this robust content engine out there. And most recently, actually we've partnered with, um, Dr. Becky. So she's um, huge in the parenting circle. She's named a millennial parenting whisperer by Time Magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, so she partnered She partnered with the brand um, on Is This Normal? And and that's been a wonderful, wonderful addition for, for yeah. our customers as well. And, you know, what I'm thinking is all meanwhile, you don't have to deal with slotting and <laughs> OIs with UNFI and chargebacks from distributors and promotions. And I mean, are you, is retail even on the table at this point? I mean, or are you just so content in your D to C channel that it makes little sense? 
Yeah. I mean, as far as retail, we always say never say never. I don't want to rule it out entirely, but for now, um, we're really focused on the direct to consumer business model. And I guess now, I mean, even I got to say we're next to once upon a farm and a lot of retailers, there still (laughs) isn't, and we're not obviously baby food, but it's that we don't know where to put you, but your refrigerated set. Um, and we live there with them a lot. They have obviously a lot more facings and they're building out fresh baby for sure. Um, but I do think, I mean, I guess they've, they are creating or there will be within the next couple of years, probably a fresh, a fresh baby set in at least some of the more progressive stores are is, is someone keeping an eye on that at all or I mean I I agree with you I mean we're always keeping an eye on it. I was at Whole Foods earlier today just poking around yeah mm-hmm. I go in I, I'm I'm in Pittsburgh right now because that's where I'm from I'm home for the weekend visiting family and I'm like oh mm-hmm. let me pop into this Whole Foods and see what's going on so we're always keeping an eye on it um, I saw your product today in the shelf I merchandised it for you it's looking good at the uh, Liberty Pittsburgh Whole Foods I'll just go and check the velocity. I'm sure it's going to be like 6X. Um, but, you know, it's funny. It, 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 the grocery store never, ever looks the same. You know, like you're like, oh, you know, that's so-and-so's thing. I should make it look nice. Or, you know, maybe I'll give them an extra facing just because he's a really nice guy. Um, sorry to the thing next to him. You know, all of that. It's, it's funny. And... um but then I guess also, you know, someone, I guess, so I, I interviewed um, Stacy, who runs marketing at Chomps and they very much started D2C. Obviously it's different. It's, you know, a better for you beef jerky. You don't have to deal with refrigeration. There is an established category. They are, they, when they moved into retail, um, they found that it was actually really good for acquisition which, you know, I'm sure you guys will find too. And I would imagine that part of the team is thinking maybe you do it, but maybe you don't do it with the fresh products. If you do come out with snacks and things like that, there might be an easier road, but. but. Definitely. I mean, perishable is very challenging in general as, as, as you are aware. And while we don't have to deal with slotting and and all of the other challenges that come along with retail, we definitely have our own set of challenges as a direct-to-consumer business as well, like, you know, fulfilling boxes in the height of summer when it's 100 degrees in Texas. Yeah. I mean, your customer service team must be really robust. You know, I mean, it can get to like 110 degrees in Texas. And I would imagine people call and they're like, I didn't pick it up. And it it got warm and you're like, well, <laughs> like you should have picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting because yeah, I mean, I guess you're, you're, you can spend so much more on sort of partnerships and content and that piece of like that marketing as well as CX. Um, but you know, retail, you know, primarily retail brands don't have as much of that. Unfortunately for us, we, we spend a lot on content and marketing, even though we're primarily an in-store brand and we're just making a bet that it will still be super valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, so any advice that you have for people who are just getting started. This has just been so much fun and so interesting. And I would love to just hear your thoughts because um, you, you clearly know what you're doing. Anything that you wish people would know earlier on that maybe you learned the hard way? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, we've definitely learned, I've definitely learned lots of lessons the hard way. Um, I think really, you know, listening to your customers and uh, in the early days, especially it was, it's hard to get feedback that you don't want to hear. And I think getting over that fear of talking to people and maybe hearing some negative things um, 
it, it's it's important because it it's really helped us develop the best products um, possible. You know, we don't always knock it out of the park. And, and it's important to really listen to your customers, understand what they're liking and not liking and really act on it. Don't just, don't just listen. Um, because you know, the longer you wait, um, sometimes the worse a problem can get. So yeah, for me, it's really just been, been listening and acting on, on consumer feedback. No, that's really, really helpful because, you know, founders, you know, these are, we're, we're investing all of our life, most of our money for the most part, you know, certainly all of our, um, I don't know, emotional energy into building things that have never existed before, you know, creating things literally out of the air. And, you know, it's kind of easy to dismiss or to be offended when someone comes along and is like, yeah, not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Don't love it. You know, it's like, it is painful, but I think that's such a great point. You know, the more that we can listen and I guess no, again, no, you can't listen to every single piece of feedback you get, but if you start to notice patterns, the sooner that you can act on them, the better, because we're too close to it probably to really even, you know. Exactly. And then I'd say on the flip side of that is you can't be all things to all people, you know, like, Sometimes you'll get feedback and you'll think, oh my God, I got to change this. This person didn't like this, but mm-hmm. you know, you can't be all things to all people. You really have to take a step back and think, who, who am I catering to? What do I want this product to be? And, right. and go for it. And as long as the kindergartners are giving you like thumbs up and happy faces, I feel like that's all you got to do. You just exactly. got to make them happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. Well, Angela, thank you so much. This was such a fun, I had so much fun researching and I also just really love the conversation with you. And, um, I really appreciate you coming on, especially during a holiday weekend. So thank you so much. This is fun. And Liam, thank you also for coming on during a holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that when I scheduled it (laughs) months ago. Um, But thanks for being a good sport and engineering as always. And listeners, um, as always, thank you for the feedback and for um, all of the love. And I'm glad to hear it's helping. And um, I'm feeling like things are going to like the world is shifting a little bit in Q3 and Q4. What about you, Angela? You feel like there's a new vibe? Oh, yeah. New vibe. New vibe. I'm really looking forward to it. Totally. I feel like there's, there's a new vibe. So, um, here's to the new vibe and I'll be back next week with another episode of in the sauce. In the sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to heritage radio network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritage radio slash subscribe.